you have your Bibles this morning, we'd like to begin in the book of Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, reading verses 27 through 30. The Apostle Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Again, do ask for your prayers this morning that the Lord will bless. Um, got a lot uh, on my mind this morning, and hopefully it's of the Lord's will. If not, it won't take long. Uh, if it is, then hopefully um, the clock won't matter, which, by the way, is wrong, so just so everybody knows. I want to get that in the tape to begin with. So just, first of all, a little bit of background about this particular epistle, at least what I believe is background on this epistle. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this from prison, and from what I can understand, this is a response back to the church at Philippi. You could read in the fourth chapter where the Apostle Paul says that he is full having received of them what they sent with their pastor Epaphroditus. That's a paraphrase, but that's, that's in Philippians 4. And so they had sent to Paul a care package, but I also believe that they were concerned about what Paul being in prison meant for the truth, for the church, and whether or not they were doing the right thing. And I want you to imagine for a second that you got up this morning and you heard Brother Chris was in prison you probably would be a little bit concerned. Why is he there? Have we, have we got, we've made a mistake or maybe he's there for some other reason? So the Apostle Paul, I believe, is writing this letter back to them to put their minds at ease in this situation. But when he gets to verse 27, he's kind of making a transition. He's transitioning from talking about his own persecution and his own journey to the journey of the church of Philippi itself. And he is preparing them for what they are going to face, much like Peter prepares those that he wrote to in the book of 1 Peter when he knew he was going to be departing. So again, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. He says, let your conversation or your life reflect or magnify the gospel of Christ. An easy way to think of this is the Lord told those on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's our purpose. That is our purpose in life is to glorify God, to live in such a way that people will see us 
and not praise us, but praise God. Think about the apostles in the book of Acts when it, they said they took note that they were ignorant and unlearned men. That's not a compliment. I hope you understand that. They were not complimenting. They took note that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but what? They had been with Jesus. Think about Moses. Moses went up and he received the message from God. And when Moses came down, you could tell that he had been with God because his face was glowing. So much so that the rest of Israel said, hey, Put a lampshade on. Cover that up a little bit. It's a little bit too bright. Put that veil on your face. And guys, that is something that people will do if you're shining. If you are shining, people will respond not always in a positive way. Some people will respond in a negative way because light manifests both good deeds and light also manifests evil deeds. I always tell my kids, you know, if you're the one who gets to work on time every time, the people who's late every time, they're not going to like you very much. Because all you have to do is do what is right and you make them look bad. My kids ask me, why, why, why do people hate Christians so much? It's because our very existence shines a light on their wickedness. We don't have to go after them. We don't have to pursue them. All we have to be is who we're supposed to be, and they're not going to appreciate that. They're going to respond in a negative way. The Apostle Paul says, Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. You know, he told the church at Thessalonians that everybody knew what you were doing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place where your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turn to God from idols and to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which deliver us from the wrath to come. The apostle Paul says, I want you to do what you're supposed to do, whether I'm there or not there. Because remember, they wrote that letter saying, what does this mean? You're in prison. Paul says it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. You're still supposed to be who you're supposed to be. I love that hymn we sang at the beginning. And, and John Newton, he says, it doesn't matter if I'm in a prison or in a palace. It, the only thing that matters is if God is with me. As a matter of fact, this letter, remember, is written to the Philippians. Do you remember what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi in the book of Acts? Paul was put in prison. And rather than sitting in the prison and complaining, he was rejoicing at midnight. We have to be able to rejoice no matter what the situation is, no matter who's here and who's not here. We have to continue in that vine. He says, whether I come or see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye may stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. I want to back up to kind of get into this transition that Paul is putting here. Go back with me to verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. 
And perhaps for those of you that were unsure about the context, this might clarify things for you. Notice what Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 1. After his introduction, in the first 11 verses, he says, but. That means we're changing directions. He says, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many other of the brethren waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand, me being in prison has not limited God. You remember in the book of Acts where they killed one of the disciples and then it says that the word of God multiplied. Persecution can make the church flourish. Persecution can draw the church together and can cause us to depend on one another and on the Lord more and we can be stronger. It's very interesting in the Old Testament, the Lord warned the children of Israel more about having too much than he did about having too little. He told them that when they go into the promised land and you've got houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and all this great blessing, don't forget God. Satan has learned that lesson better than we have. Because in our country, we are in a plenteous state and we have fallen asleep to a large degree. We are comfortable. We have been overflowed with blessings. And what have we done? We have forgot where those blessings come from. That's a dangerous position to be in. The Apostle Paul says, don't worry, I'm in prison, but it hasn't stopped God. I love in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua had to follow Moses. That's a tough job. I can remember when I graduated from college, there was two things I didn't want. I did not want to go into a program that was the best program in the county, and I didn't want to go into a program that was the worst program in the county. I wanted to be somewhere in the middle, right? To come in after somebody who was super good, everything would be downhill from there. But the Lord told Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go up over this river Jordan. He did not give him any time to have a pity party. He said, get up and go do what you're supposed to do. That's what we all have to try to do. The Apostle Paul says, it's okay. Yes, I'm in prison, but that is okay. The Lord is not hindered. The Lord is not stopped. Go down a little bit further. And he says in verse, I want to go to verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. No matter what happens, he says, I am not going to be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's going to talk a lot about this in the next few verses. He says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, 
The only thing I know is that my purpose is going to be to magnify God. If I continue, I'm going to magnify God while I'm alive. If I die, I'm going to magnify God in my death. Christ is going to be magnified in my body. He says, for to me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Go to verse 23. He says, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Which is far better. He says in Corinthians, the glories are, the, the, the troubles are not worthy to be compared to the glories which shall be revealed in us. He says, to live is Christ. You know what I think that means? Staying here and living this life is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. That was Christ, wasn't he? Christ was a sacrifice. What did he do? He gave up glory to come down here. He gave up glory to come down here and to die cursed by man, spat upon, and rejected. His life was sacrifice. And in the same way, once we understand what the Lord has waiting for us, staying here is a sacrifice. We have to be willing to do what's better. Notice what he says. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He says, nevertheless, that's a big, long way of saying but. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You see, he said, I'm making a sacrifice. I'm making a sacrifice. I would rather be able to go home and to be with the Lord. Now, I, I, I know you always say that. I know we say that. But, you know, I am a little bit older than the last time I was here. And, and the older you get, the more you really mean that. The more you realize just how much you long to be able to go home. To be able to lay aside this, this body and to go home and to see the Lord. That is a great desire for a child of God. He says, but I know, nevertheless, it is more needful that I stay. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So that's kind of the, the leading into this verse. And he says, now let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He's going to tell them later on, he says in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. What is he saying? You're going to have that same straight you're going to have that same conflict within you, desiring to go home and to be with the Lord, but understanding that we have work to do here. You're going to face persecution just like Paul faced persecution. What does he say in verse 29? For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Did you, did you, did you know that when you signed up? You know, the Lord said, before you start building that building, you might want to count the cost and see, you know, before you go into battle, you want to make sure that you've got what you need. Did you know that this 
Life is a life that involves suffering. Too many people today think it's going to be, you know, a primrose path. And that's not what the Lord promised his disciples. We know he says in this world, you shall have a tribulation. No, it's a life of tribulation. He says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. If you'll pray this morning, we're going to try to look at those three things, because I think it's kind of interesting. It's almost like in that verse, in that, that section, he's giving us an outline for the remainder of the, the book of Philippians. So just pray that the Lord will help us do this in a way that is clear uh, and understanding. First of all, he says, I want you to stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now that spirit is written in the lowercase, so I don't believe that's talking necessarily about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about our attitude. So that automatically brings to mind what? Anybody can think of it? John chapter 4, right? When the Lord told that woman there at the well, he says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And there's a contrast there between those two. And just quickly, what it is, is the nation of Israel, the Jews, had the truth. They had the Old Testament. They had the truth. But what did they not have? They did not have the proper spirit in their worship. Their worship was what? It says over and over again, they did what they did to be seen of men. If what you do to serve God is so that somebody sees you come to church, the, the book of Matthew makes it clear, you've got your reward. And that's the only one you're going to get. If what you are doing is so that somebody can see you and pat you on the back, then the only reward you're going to get is somebody seeing you and patting you on the back. But I would much rather have the reward that God promised when he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the, that's the reward that I desire. The Apostle Paul says that you must stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now it just so happens that the book of Philippians chapter 2, I love how these coincidences happen in the scripture, but in the book of Philippians chapter 2, he talks about what kind of mind we're supposed to have. He tells us what our mind should be. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to begin reading in the first verse of Philippians chapter 2. You guys have probably realized I like to read a lot of scripture. Because I know if I'm saying what this book says, then I'm at least a good chance of it being the truth. Well, I know it's the truth if it's the scriptures. The only you can cut that part out of the tape, Brother James, make sure. Because you can rest the scriptures, right? Peter says you can rest the scriptures. And you could take the scriptures and turn them on their ear and try to make them say something they don't say. But that doesn't work if you're reading things in context. Verse 1, he says, if there be any consolation in Christ. Have you ever been consoled by Christ? You know, David, when, when, he, when he was out to battle, you know, and the, and the men and they all came back and the city was overrun and all the women and the children were gone. And even those men that had been faithful to David, they were beginning to look at him and begin to say, what are we doing? What did David do? He said he encouraged himself in the Lord. He is a friend that sticketh closer 
than a brother. He says, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Look what it says in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Does that not fit the concept of worshiping in spirit? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't do it to get attention. Now, just flipping back, you'll remember the Apostle Paul told them that some of the people that were coming to preach there at Philippi, they were coming to preach out of strife and contention. Do you know that preachers aren't perfect? I know you do. You know me at least. You know that at least in that regard. Preachers are not perfect. He said some of these preachers, they don't have the best motive. But remember he says, if Christ is preached, I rejoice. And I want to make a very clear caveat because I've heard it done some different way. That does not mean that they just happen to say the word Jesus and therefore everything is okay. Because you could go right now, not too far down the street, and you could hear some things about Jesus that are just not true. They are just not true. They are not things that Paul would rejoice in. Paul told them in the book of Galatians that I marvel that you are so removed from the gospel to another gospel, he says, which is not another gospel. There's only one. There's only one. God didn't take the truth and drop it down and everybody got a little piece of it and then one day we're going to put it all back together when we get to heaven. That's not the way the faith was once delivered to the saints. The faith was given to the church, and that's why we are so adamant. We are not Protestants. We did not begin protesting anything. We believe that we have roots with the disciples and Jesus Christ himself, that we are founded upon that cornerstone that was laid out by Christ and the disciples. That's the gospel that we stand for. So Paul is not saying that it's okay whatever you say. What he is telling them is that your job is to judge whether it's the truth. And if it's the truth, then you don't have to worry so much about their motives. When a church has to go through that process of calling a pastor, that's a difficult time. What should the church be looking for? They should be looking for a man that preaches the truth. Can he preach? Does he preach? That's what the church needs. That's what the church has to have. I had people that asked me in the past, what did y'all do at Little Union? How did y'all grow there at Little Union? And they're thinking, you know, well, did you do, did you do some softball games? Did you do some, you know, some weenie roast? And what did you do? And I, my answer is always, the gospel was preached. It was preached clearly. It was preached plainly so that the people sitting could understand it. And could guide their lives by it. That's what's going to cause the church to grow. No amount of things that we could add that man might appeal to is going to help the truth. The truth is what we need. He says, you need to stand. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Paul says, it'd be far better if I could go home. Nevertheless, to abide is more needful for you. Paul's esteeming their needs over his needs. We are to esteem each other over 
ourself. That is the beauty of the washing of the saints' feet. And isn't it interesting that that's what the majority of churches in this world were the first to get rid of? To get down at your brothers and sisters' feet and to serve them. He says, lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than Sam's. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And look at what it says in verse 5. Let this mind be in you. If we're going to have just one mind, I don't want it to be Gary's. Love you, Brother Gary. But I don't want it to be Gary's. I don't want it to be Brother Quinton's. I don't want it to be Brother Donald's. If we're going to have one mind, let it be Christ. Let it be Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at the pattern. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God. I don't care how good you think you are. He was God. He was God. You might think, well, they should talk to me better. No. Look at how they spoke to the Lord. Look at how they spat upon him, how they plucked the hairs from his face, how they laid open his back. He was God. You sang that song this morning. He could have called 10,000 angels. He wouldn't even have had to dial up. All he had to do was just think it, and it would have happened. But he sacrificed. Remember what it says? To live is Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, bought, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. You know, he had to tell his apostles that, didn't he? Isn't it interesting? They were at the communion dinner. The Lord had just told them, one of you is going to betray me. And at first they're going, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? That's a good reaction. That's a good reaction because we know we have all been like Peter. Right? We like to pick on Peter. But every one of us have had moments in our life where we have denied Christ because we didn't want to be embarrassed. Because we didn't want to stick out. Because we didn't want to have to take the time to explain it. You know, Peter denied Christ because he was afraid he was going to be killed. Right? He, he wasn't just embarrassed. He was afraid he was going to die. But we have all had those moments where we have not stood and said what we should have done. We've all betrayed him. But they go from saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? To saying, well, who's going to be first? Who's going to be on the right hand once we get in the kingdom? They completely turn things upside down. They began to look to their own. He says, he took him himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of his servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as the man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is the mind that we're supposed to have. We are supposed to have the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, this is really good, Romans chapter 12, he says it very similarly. But this, I kind of like the way this is laid out. He says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That is your motivation for everything that you do, is the mercies of God. Not to, not to get a bigger castle, not to get a bigger gold pile. Everything we do is supposed to be done because of the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. To live is Christ. Paul writes in parallels here. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Is it above and beyond your call of duty to come to church on Sunday night, even after you came to church on Sunday morning? That's just asking too much, isn't it? He says, your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And that renewing doesn't mean recharging. It means changing. It means a different mind. Keep going. He says, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think. Where do we think? It's in our mind. How do we remind? He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Well, well, how high is that? You know, kind of like the kind of like the one that says, well, who is my neighbor? If you're thinking of yourself highly, it's too high. If you don't see yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ, it's too high. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. I love that. When you do think of yourself more highly, you're just not thinking clearly. You're not seeing things clearly. You don't see who you really are. When the Lord came into the house of Simon and Simon was judging everything and that woman comes in and begins to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and to kiss the Lord's feet and he says, oh, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And then the Lord tells him a story. He says, Simon, I have somewhat to say. I would have loved to have seen Simon face when the Lord said that. He was, go he was working it, right? You ever done that? Work up an argument in your mind? He was, he was working that argument and the Lord interrupted his reverie. And the Lord gave him that story about the one that owed a great debt and the one that owed a small debt. But you notice it said neither one could pay. No matter how debt you, small you think your debt is, you can't pay it anyway. And if you think you can, you're not thinking clearly. The Apostle Paul says we need to think clearly. We need to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Corinthians says it this way. What have you got that God didn't give you? What blessing do you have that God didn't give you? So why are you going to brag about it? It's not yours anyway. God gave it to you. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Take the mind of Christ. Notice what he says. Um, and like I said, preachers aren't perfect. Preachers aren't perfect. Even the apostles weren't perfect. Do you remember in the book of Galatians where Paul says that he withstood Peter to his face? Because Peter was, was hiding whenever the, the other Jews came around. He didn't hang around with the Gentiles. That was doing stuff from strife and vainglory. He was concerned about his appearance and not concerned about what was right. And that's Peter. That's Peter. Are we better than Peter? No and no wise. But neither is he better than us. We're all sinners in the eyes of Christ, but we're all saved by the blood of Christ. So notice what he says a little bit later. I want you to notice how this continues. And I know, I know we're covering a lot. I encourage you, when you go home, sit down on your own, read through the book of Philippians. It's four chapters. It's four chapters. It's not very much. But it's very interesting. I didn't notice this until I was studying. My plan was just to kind of talk on 27 and 30. But it's almost like it's an outline for the rest of the book. Maybe you can see that too. But notice what he says here. And we're going to go to... Let's go to verse 12. 
Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember what he said? Whether I'm here or I'm absent, notice what he says here. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, you're doing okay. You're okay. You know why? Because I'm not the one who saves you. Notice what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We don't get God's grace through an intermediary. We don't have to get God's grace through anybody else. We don't have to pray to any man alive or dead to get access to the throne of grace. We have a direct connection. He says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know, he told those that they were walking around Jericho. He said, keep your mouth closed. Didn't he? Don't make a sound. Don't make a sound. You know, you know why? Because they'd have been murmuring and they'd have been claiming. And guess what? So would you. Out there in the heat, walking around a city. Why are we walking around? We don't want to go around it. We want to go in it. But the Lord told them, keep your mouth closed. Well, that's a, that's a good lesson for all of us. How many times does Proverbs tell us, you know what? The less you say, the better it is. The less you say, the better it is. He says, let's go to, um, let's go to verse 17. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He says, even if I die for this, I'm, I'm, I will rejoice in. He says, for the same cause also to you. But he says in verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded. Isn't that interesting? He's saying it again. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. You see, he puts Timothy up as an example of what that mind is supposed to be like. He is not looking for his own praise. He is looking for the things which are of Christ. He says, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently. And he, he goes on. I'm not going to read it because I don't know. Time is slipping by us pretty quick. He says basically the same thing about Epaphroditus that Epaphroditus was very concerned about the church. He was concerned that the church knew that he was sick and he wanted to go back and comfort the church. He wasn't looking for his own. He was thinking of the church. He says, if you're going to stand fast, if you're going to stand fast, you have to stand fast in one spirit, in one mind. You have to have the mind of Christ. You know, in the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter also gives the Lord as an example. You ever, you ever had trouble? Something go not the way you want it to? I understand that. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 21, the apostle Peter says, For even hereunto were ye called. Uh-oh. That sounds a lot like what Paul said, right? You were called not just to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Notice what he says. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. 
You know, he didn't just do that to save us. Notice what it says. Leaving us an example. We're supposed to follow Christ's example. He says that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. That's a tough one, isn't it? Somebody says something about you, you want to say it right back a little bit better. He says he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And here's the key. Look what it says. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what that says? You put it in God's hands. Put it in God's hands. Now, I know Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, but there's a reason why he came the way he did. It is an example to us. It is an example to us. He is God. He is the creator of the universe. But when they came after him, he did not retaliate. He did not fight back. He just put it in the Lord's hands. He trusted the Lord to take care of him. Well, that's an easy thing to say. You do not know that you have faith until you don't have anything else. You might think you have faith, but you don't know that until it is tested when everything else is taken away. Because we have a tendency to look around. Why did the Lord not let them gather more than one day's worth of manna? They were not allowed to gather more than one day's worth of manna. Why is that? That doesn't make sense. It says, you know, it'd be a lot more efficient. Let's just gather a week at a time. Do you go grocery shopping every day? Well, we do sometimes. I do, unfortunately. It's very expensive to do it that way. I don't recommend it. But the Lord, it says, he wanted to teach them. He wanted to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have to trust God's goodness. That's easy to do when everything's going great. It's not so easy to do when everything's not going great. I have learned, not perfectly, I'm like Paul, I haven't attained it to perfection. I have learned what one day at a time means. Because there was a time that I didn't think I would ever stand here again. And not here at this church, here at any church because I was overwhelmed I thought how am I going to do the rest of my life how am I going to face weddings and graduations and grandkids and I can't but the Lord has taught me I can do today I can do today, one day at a time. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Peter says, 
He committed himself unto him that doeth righteously. That is God himself. Going back to the book of Philippians, he says, first of all, stand fast. Stand fast in one mind and spirit. I think it's interesting that that's what he said first. Then he says, striving together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit. Understand it is. I have, I, I have to be careful saying it's more important. Because things are so important. But I would rather have somebody that didn't know everything about the truth. But had a close, intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. Who understood what God had done for them. That's a person that's ready to learn. That's a person that's ready to grow. We need to start there. We need to see just what God has done for you. I can't make it real enough for you. Only the Spirit can do that. Only the Spirit can bear witness with your spirit. Only the Spirit can bring those things to remembrance, can show you what the Lord has done for you. We, we don't see that clearly. We're going to get in our cars and everything's going to be okay. We need to realize just how sinful we are and just how much we need that Savior. He says again that we are striving together for, he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, that faith is the one that was once delivered to the saints. It is the truth. Okay? Faith, is, faith is, the, is the ability to believe, but faith is also viewed as what it is that we believe. That's what it means in Jude when it says that faith once delivered to the saints. But notice what he says in Philippians chapter 3. Remember I said, this is like an outline. He says, Final, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the things unto you. To me indeed is not grievous, for, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Now, as a Jew, if I said a dog, most people would think I meant a Gentile. Because that's what the Jews called the Gentiles. You know what? When he says dogs here, he is not talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Jews. Notice what he says. For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The gospel is that Jesus did it all. That is the gospel. You did nothing. I used to hear people, I, I heard this said, if you want to know what somebody really believes, just ask them how they're saved. And if the first thing they say is I, they missed it. No matter what comes after it. I believed, I was baptized, I took communion, I kept all the law, all these things have I kept from my youth up. The Lord said, one thing thou lackest. You really want to go on that standard? No, you don't. No, you don't. It is Christ paid the price. He said on the cross, it is finished. You know what that means? It means paid in full. 
You have a car loan, you have a house loan, you may not keep every statement, but that statement comes out that says the loan is paid off and it says paid in full, I bet you know where every one of those are. You don't want them coming back later and saying, oh, guess what, you missed this interest rate. The Lord tells in the book of Romans 8, nobody can do that. No man can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Christ died, yea, rather is risen again. That is the gospel that we are fighting for. And the apostle Paul says, the dogs, the, the, the concision, the Jews, they are trusting in their flesh. What does he say in the book of Romans chapter 10? He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. That tells me he's talking about children of God. They have a zeal of God, but notice what he says, but not according to knowledge. What's their problem? They are, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. That was the problem of the circumcision that was the problem of the jews is that they were trying to establish their own righteousness and the lord says because of that through the apostle paul they would not submit unto the righteousness which was in jesus christ and i believe again that's talking about children of god he says they had a zeal of god but they missed the blessing they missed the blessing that the lord had for him he says Verse 4, the Apostle Paul, this is Philippians chapter 3, 4, I'm sorry, I know I'm hopping around. He says, 3 and 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. He said, if anybody could say they had it by the flesh, he said, I can more. He says, circumcised the eighth day, check, of the stock of Israel, check, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, both parents, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, He's kind of like that rich young ruler. All these things have I kept from my youth up. But what does he say? But what things were gain to me? He says, I count them loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, if we are going to stand fast, we have to stand fast in the faith of the gospel. The apostle Paul says that we do that by Rejoicing in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm relieved. I'm relieved to think that, I mean, you, do you ever have doubts? To think that my ability to hold on to something in my mind is what would keep me in the hand of God is a terrifying thought. And if we're honest, it probably is for you as well. Because you know you. You know, you know the things that you struggle with. You know the times when you have reached the bottom. And maybe, maybe you're like Elijah. Lord, just, it's too much. Just take me home. Aren't you glad that it's not your faithfulness that keeps you there? Paul says in Timothy that even if we believe not, he remaineth faithful. He cannot deny 
himself. He can't deny the work that he's done. He says, but what things were gain I count for loss. I want to go ahead. Um, so much here. He says in verse 9, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. That was everything that he put his faith in, was how well he kept the law. He says, that's not anymore. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That is our desire. That is my desire, is to know him. I know I'm going to know him when I get to heaven, but I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. I want to know him here. I want to feel his presence here. I pray every morning that the Lord would bless me to see him, to bless me to hear him, to bless me to feel him, and to bless me to know him. Because he's here with us every day. It's just that we don't see him all the time. You know that servant, right? Remember the servant in the Old Testament? And he comes up to Elijah and he says, oh, they're all out there. And Elijah says, don't worry. There's more with us than there are with them. And that worked, right? That servant was convinced. He high-fived Elijah. He went outside and everything was good. No, what does it do? It says that Elijah prayed. You know why Elisha prayed? Because that servant did not see it. He thought Elisha was crazy. But uh, the Lord, that Elisha prayed that the Lord might open his eyes. Guys, God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. The only question is, is are we seeing him? Because he's there. When I was younger, <laughs> and my kids were younger, we always tried to really stress to them that they need to stay with us in town. And so if one of them started to get a little bit, you know, independent, I would let them get a little bit ahead, and I would hide behind the uh, shells. Now, I could still see them the whole time. And they were fine for a little while until they realized they couldn't see me. The Lord's a good father, Lord. He's there. He doesn't let go of us. He doesn't look away from us, but we need to look towards him. The apostle Peter saw the Lord and everything was good, but then what happened? He saw the waves and he began to sink. Was the Lord still there? Yeah, the Lord was still there. The Lord's always there. He goes on, he says, he says, um, I trust in the Lord that also myself shortly will come. And we're going to move on because I know we are really, really running out of time. Let's go back now to the last part. He says in verse 28, and he says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, you have an adversary. You have an adversary. There is a lying, a roaring lion, which goes about seeking whom he may devour. He goes after your kids in their school. He goes after you at work. He goes after you when you're sitting on your couch and you are watching your TV. And he is clever. In the book of Ephesians, it says the wiles of the devil. And he's not like Wiley e. Coyote. Wiley e. Coyote's, his plans never worked. But Wiley e. Coyote always had a plan. And Satan knows how to attack us. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your vulnerability. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation. I'm just going to jump ahead because I know 
Lunch is, is, is long way away. Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Remember what I said. Chapter 2 is one mind and one spirit. Chapter 3, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I believe chapter 4 is talking about being nothing terrified. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That means even when it's bad. He says, let your moderation be known unto men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Do not be overcome. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, your, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We're going to jump down. He says in verse, verse 11. Now I'm going to back up to verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. See, that, that talks about that gift that they had sent to him. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And then the next verse is the one that everybody misinterprets. He goes on, he says, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul's not saying that he can have whatever car he wants, whatever house he wants. What he's saying is I can get through whatever situation I'm in. He's putting his hands, he's putting his life in the Lord's hands. He told him earlier, you know, it's easier, it'd be better if I could go. He says, but what I choose, I want not. That's not my choice. I'm going to leave it to the Lord. I don't know how many more days I have here on this earth, but my prayer is that the days that I have, I will be spending them magnifying the Lord with my body. But I also eagerly look forward to that time when the Lord calls us home. There's a song, what a day that will be, and boy, it will be It'll be an endless day. It'll be a day with no night. But while we're here, Apostle Paul says we need to stand fast. We need to be of one spirit. We need to be of one mind. Don't look to yourself. Don't look at yourself as being important. Look on other people. We need to strive for the faith of the gospel. You know, that means you need to teach it to your children. If there's one place that primitive Baptist has missed the mark is on teaching the truth to our children. There are too many former primitive Baptists. You need to make the effort to make sure they know that gospel. And then he says, don't be afraid. Nothing terrified. I appreciate your good attention this morning.